You are entering the Freedom Hut. Are we in the midst of the most expensive policy blunder of all time? New numbers in about the retail apocalypse that is underway. Also, protests in Long Island show that even in blue states, people are getting fed up. Biden says he wouldn't pardon Trump if he became president. Yeah, don't hold your breath on that one. The truth about Florida and Georgia and a monuments challenge to Trump. That and more coming up. This, this is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission, mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One Make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Thank you very much for joining me here on this Friday. My, oh my, it is going to be a tough summer. I wish I didn't have to say that right now. I know we all are heading off the weekends, and hopefully you'll be able to get some rest and relaxation and be able to take care of yourself. But it is going to be a tough summer. Here's why. Uh, here in New York, they've just extended the lockdown until the middle of June. Now, there are some parts of the state where there are far fewer people that are somewhat open, but just a little bit open. You know, this is the problem we're going to have here is that the reopen in phases plan is far too slow and not nearly nimble enough to deal with the economic devastation that we are seeing. But to extend this to June, my friends, this is madness. This is nuts. We were told 15 days all right, things look pretty rough. Maybe we extend it to 30. That's it. Going beyond this is absurd because if we have to be under lockdown to be safe from the virus, why would we be safer in September or October than we are now? If the whole plan is really just to to sit and wait and hope for a vaccine or hope for a therapeutic before the end of the year, that is a massively stupid gamble. That is hoping for the equivalent of winning the lottery, given what we're already seeing from this virus. It's just not going to happen. And the devastation is unfathomable to our economy right now. And, you know, I've come in here and some days it feels like we're starting to make some progress. We're starting to see things getting better. You know what the you know what the uh, I looked on the CDC website. I'm trying to do some of the number crunching myself. And I'm not a numbers guy and I never pretend to be. But, you know, I'm, I'm OK at it. And I want to see what is the average percentage drop? You know, this would really give us an important data point to make some real decisions from. What is the the average percentage drop um, that you would have from a normal flu season from, let's say, February, March, which is usually the peak. February usually usually is the peak month. February, March of the flu season uh, to May, June. Does does the drop? And remember, that's that's a respiratory disease without a lockdown. Does the drop look pretty much like it does right now for us under lockdown across the country for COVID-19? I think you can see why that's important, isn't it? It's something that we should all know because we're going to go through a second round of this now. That much is clear to me. Because the public health establishment refuses to believe, refuses to accept that they really have very little in the way of tools to fight this. They didn't have great advice for us. We keep talking about how this is a war. This is a war where, you know, our weapons are hand washing and locking ourselves at home. It's not not exactly a satisfying response, is it? We've lost over 
80,000 people at this point, over 20,000 in New York City. And what we have to remember is that a lot of the people in charge are morons. A lot of the people in charge don't care. New York City, which is on the forefront of this uh, this whole fight right now, because we've gotten hit the worst. And unfortunately, and I'm sorry for those of you listening right now in Denver, in San Diego, in Portland, in Austin, in Omaha, in you name it. For those of you listening all across the country, your policies were very much influenced because of what happened here in New York. And what happened in New York was we have a public we have a public health establishment run by complete idiots. I mean, abject morons. The the chief of the of the one point six billion dollar New York City Health Department is a pediatrician who's basically spent most of the last decade, from what I can see in her bio, working on health equity and social justice issues. That's who's making the determination of what to do with the. Not just in the face of the virus, but the policies that are going to affect billions and billions of dollars of assets, of wealth, of life savings, of business income here in New York City. She's making these calls. De Blasio, who's an abject buffoon, he's making these calls. Look at what's going on in Los Angeles. They don't even have a high death toll. They don't. You you don't shut down millions and millions of, of people's lives. For a death toll that, that when you stretch it out over the course of three months is basically 500 people a month. You, you don't do that. But Los Angeles is doing it. We are in a period of mass hysteria. People are making poor decisions. This virus is survivable by over 99 percent of people who get it. They think the fatality rate is is point one. That's what they're, you know, that's what they're guessing right now. I actually think it's even less than that, but we'll see when we have more widespread serology tests. But this this cannot stand here. We are now. I was saying, okay, we're making the right noises. The numbers in the worst hit places are going down. Georgia, Florida. God bless you. Your states are moving forward here. Texas, Texas moving a little more slowly than I'd like. But, you know, they're they're moving forward. They have not been crushed with all these new cases and And you see all these journalists who are trying to justify their previous outrage over how Georgia was effectively committing mass murder. No, not true. Um, But now they say, well, look at what's going on. I see them pointing to Sweden. Look at the rise. Okay, Sweden didn't have that bad of a death toll per capita. But look at the rise that it had. It could have things could have been better there. Yeah, but they also didn't shut down everyone's life and tell them they have to stay at home and hide under a bed. It, it's starting to look in New York like the people in charge are so stupid that they don't understand how dire the situation in the rest of society is and or they just don't care. That's a really frightening circumstance for us to be in. And I know for a lot of you, you're saying, well, my state's not that bad. Yeah, but remember, it's going to be federal dollars that are bailing out these big states with much larger populations than a lot of the red states. I mean, Texas obviously is a big population. So does Florida is not really a red state. It's kind of red, uh, reddish. It's purple. But I mean, New York, California, these are massive states that are going to and, and Illinois, too. Uh, they're going to want enormous federal bailouts. You've got a three trillion dollar package getting talked about right now. I mean, this is this is out of control, my friends. We, we need to just go back. People who are at risk need to take additional precautions and we need to give them the resources, whatever it takes. You know, the attitude somehow is for all of society, any degree of 
uh, suppression of your rights and your activities and your freedoms is necessary to save lives. But what we see is that the people that are really in danger didn't have the resources. In New York, you've had 5,300 plus people who have died in nursing homes alone in New York State. 5,300. That's a big death toll. Okay, that is horrifying. Big paper written in a, a big uh, piece written in the Wall Street Journal on how they didn't have the, the, the first of all, Cuomo's policy was, yeah, take people before we've even tested them to be negative coming back from the hospital when they were thought to have COVID-19. And after some of those returnees from the hospital went into the nursing homes, guess what? A whole lot of people got sick in many of these nursing homes and died. And now they've reversed the order. Because it was shockingly, unbelievably reckless. But that was an important decision. That was one where they could have actually saved lives. Telling me to stay home all day is not saving any lives. It's stupid. Telling people in California that they have to wear masks all the time is idiotic. Yeah, masks indoors, masks if you're in close contact with somebody for a long time. You know, I'm not unreasonable in how I view this. I know that people like to say if you're not a lockdown forever loon, you're somehow rooting for granny to die. No, I, I see what's what's happened. I know I understand the severity of the situation, but I understand the severity of the total situation as well. And what's going on across the country? Friends, we are going to have to. I don't even think I could put this on Twitter. I was thinking about this this morning. We are going to have to get to, uh, you know, where is that Tea Party? Where is that protest movement? Where are the people who are going to say enough? And we need them not just to be in a few states. We need them in a lot of states. Open up now. These rules, these endless extensions of authority at the state level to lock down businesses and tell you you have to stay in your home, tell you who you can and cannot see. These are unconstitutional. They, in the first place, just relied on the forbearance of the American people, and now they're abusing it. And these petty authoritarians need to be shown that we will not comply. We need mass noncompliance. And I know people are going to say, oh, my God, we're heading into the summer. If if we don't see a massive drop in this uh, just from the change in seasons and human behavior in summer, why do we see a massive drop in flu? Are you worried about getting the flu in June? How many of you have gotten the flu influenza in July? I'm guessing very few. I'm not saying nobody, but we can't live life by the exceptions. If you live life by the exception, you will never walk out your uh, walk out of your house because, yes, occasionally somebody does have a you know drunk driver in broad daylight, you know, do donuts in their front lawn, spin out and smack them into the garage and kill them. That can happen. But you don't live your life thinking that it's going to happen every day, do you? You live your life based on reasonable risk tolerance. Our society, the statist nanny state wimp mentality that some of these authoritarians have gone with of oh we'll do whatever we say or else you want everyone to die what the heck is that it's we've gone too far now i mean now now is when we actually need people to band together and you're going to see social media is going to try to shut this down you're going to see people uh in very prominent positions say that this is reckless it's risking lives you're going to see some really nasty arrests and exchanges with police officers 
You know, it's up to every officer. If somebody's out there protesting and the governor says, I say they're not allowed to protest, who do you listen to, the governor or the Constitution? These are the choices we're going to be faced with soon. We all know what the First Amendment says. We all know that declaring protest as a non-essential activity ain't gonna fly. Not if you believe in the Constitution, not if you think that we have laws, and not just the whims of bureaucrats and the idiots in power right now. This is the biggest policy, the most expensive, no question, policy blunder in anyone's lifetime. We're destroying, and I'm, this is global too. I mean, New York, the United States, we're, we're symbolic of what's happening in the whole world. There are, there are studies out there from groups. All they do is look at this and look at, at food, uh, food chain, food supply, and they're saying that we might have a couple hundred million people facing starvation because of this, starving to death. Oh, no, if, if you think that we should start living life again and engaging in normal activity to the degree that we can with some restrictions, some modifications, you, you just want old people to die for your stock account. That's what they say. Where is that Tea Party spirit? Where is that mass noncompliance with tyranny? We're there. We're there. Extending this until the middle of June? Why not extend it the whole year? By their logic, I want to know, why shouldn't we just extend this the whole year? Just tell us now. Why not? And they're going to go so slowly, even with the reopen, that they might as well not. These businesses, businesses are on a clock. They are dying. They can't just sit there and wait and wait and wait. And when businesses die, people lose livelihoods. People's lives are destroyed. You know, this is really interesting when you start to view this as the mass house arrest that it is. Oh, sure. They think they're saving lives by ruining them. That's the policy that they have actually settled on. Because right now there are millions of people. Yes, there are 80,000 plus dead. It's terrible. There are millions of people whose lives are being ruined right now. And there are millions of people whose health and also, I think, will lose their lives, too, over time, meaning that they will die from preventable disease. They will die from the lack of medical care. 150,000 cancer diagnoses every month. How many, how many cancer diagnoses do you think there were in this country in March and April while we were all praying at the altar of St. Fauci? Like, like, stay at home and don't do anything is some brilliant plan. People need to wake up. This is out of control. Where are we going to start the pushback when will it begin? I don't know if we can use social media. I think they're going to shut us down from it. But my friends, they're going to drag us through this. If we allow them, they will wreck the they will wreck the American economy. And this country will be in the midst of Great Depression Part Two. And it will all be self-induced because of hashtag science believers out there who don't know a damn thing about science and have terrible judgment and have been wrong all along. But they they think that because somebody is put in some government bureaucracy where they're making decisions that they're really smart that they they know exactly what they're doing would you let the dmv determine every aspect of your life just because someone has a fancy degree doesn't mean they have any more clarity of judgment or decision making than the most slothful of government employees you're in the freedom hut this is the buck sexton show podcast I am pleased to see that there are some people in the New York area who are taking to the streets and are showing their displeasure with this because that's how this all begins. It, it starts with some people who are willing to speak out. 
Here is uh, here's a News 12 Long Island report about these protesters. They're called the Setauket Patriots, and they're out in Long Island. Producer Mark, are these some of your cousins or something? Uh, no, they are not. Here they are out in Long Island protesting the stupid lockdown situation. Play clip one. They flooded the sidewalk on Jericho Turnpike in Comac. Hundreds of Long Islanders sick of the shutdown, demanding that New York get back to work. Businesses need to reopen. People are losing their livelihood. Who is King Cuomo to tell business owner that he can't be open or that you have to wear a mask when you walk into his store? The rally organized by a group called the Setauket Patriots, a right-wing organization that supports President Trump. It's the second demonstration that's been held at this location in the last two weeks we need more demonstrations we need more people out there saying this is this is destroying my livelihood let people make their own choices about their own risk tolerance it would be wrong i would say it would be immoral to force anyone who is really that concerned about contracting this disease and some people there are very real concerns for them about their health with this. Remember, 99% of people who get the disease, that's not 99% of all human beings, period. 99% of those who are infected, which is a very large number, but not uh, clearly not everyone, um, 99% will survive the disease, and over half of them won't even know they have the disease. That's what we are facing. We have the data now, we have the facts in. Why are we allowing the government to tell everyone that you need to stay home and that? if it saves just one life, has become our official policy on this. At least in New York, that's the plan. If it saves just one life, if that were really, if that were really your guiding star for how you make public policy, uh, you would not let people ever leave their homes, and we would, we would be in a, in a total dystopia. Every human activity involves some degree of risk. In fact, even being in your home involves some degrees of risk, but I don't want to freak people out, you know. A lot of bad things happen when people slip down the stairs or in the shower. I mean, this is reality. Bad things can happen anywhere. But here we are, folks. We've reached the point. We've, we have reached the threshold. It's time to push back. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm just trying to get by on the sidewalk, that's all. No, you shouldn't be here. You're fake news. You stopped, you stopped airing the Trump briefings and you keep airing Cuomo briefings. Go home, Traitor. you fake news. Fake Go home. news. You're just You are the enemy of the people. You are fake news. You are the enemy. You are fake news. We know that your liberal agenda. We know you want to keep your job. We get it. You're not getting advertising dollars in right now. I got to say, I love Long Island Republicans. They're they're a great bunch. Yeah, fake news. Hey, yeah, get out of here. Enemy of the people, you fake news. I love it, man. It's great. It's like I know I'm close to home when the Strong Island Republicans are, are making making the noise about how this guy. Look, they said some things that are just true. I, mean, I don't know if that channel specifically did or did not do what they say, but they're claiming that they stopped airing the Trump briefings and started airing only Cuomo briefings. Uh, that's that's a very suspect editorial decision. And also, I think that there is clearly a 
uh, the, the journalists really seem to think that their job is not just to inform people, but to police people, you know, to, to find cases of people out enjoying the sunshine somewhere, being too close to each other on the beach. You know, the, the journos are the are the little willing Renfields of the nanny state. The Dracula reference, those of you who are wondering, it's a great novel. If you're looking for a novel to read, if you've never read Bram Stoker's Dracula, you'll rip through it. Um, unlike Moby Dick, which I'm in the middle of and I'm kind of like, come on. But anyway, producer Mark, Strong Island Republicans. I didn't realize there were so many. Uh, yes, uh, I believe the uh, congressional people are split two and two, two Dems, two Republicans. I think Nassau is more Democratic leaning. And once you get out to Suffolk, it's more Republican. There we go. Yeah, that's right. You got uh, Congressman um, King is out there, right? Yes, Peter King is out there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So there are some parts of there are some sane parts of Long Island still. But this is what we need more of. We need people who are going to push back and say, what the heck is going on here? Why are we allowing people to make these kinds of decisions for us without any evidentiary basis for us? This was all a giant bait and switch from the beginning. They said that we might have two million people that die from this. That's insane. That's that that wasn't happening. But we were told that. And how do you know? We, you know, we didn't know. And that, that seems like way too many people for us to risk continuing any economic activity way way too many people for us to go forward and try to live our lives again i mean the the amount of stuff here that has been put on hold and canceled and and ruined uh based on these faulty models and i know for a lot of you you're probably like, oh buck but you know my area is coming back yeah but if if there are a lot of lagging areas of the country, that's going to affect all of us. It's going to affect the economy nationally. It's going to affect the supply chain. You know, a lot of national brands, a lot of national brands are probably going to want to have a pretty uniform policy. So, you know, I don't know if you've got uh, a burger franchise that's in a dozen states and three of them are red free states and, you know, nine of them are lockdown states. You know, are you going to open in the three? I mean, maybe I would think, but I'm not sure that every business is going to operate that way. They're going to be operating at a fraction of their capacity. I mentioned the retail apocalypse at the top of the show. I mean, retail was down 20 percent almost, uh, which is the biggest drop people have have ever seen. Um, It's just stunning. It's just stunning that this is what we are going through. But we are. We are. Uh, we've unfortunately fallen into this, I think, with with way too little protest. And and I'm sorry. Uh, I, I think that the president, you know, he's he has had a Herculean task pushing back on not just this, the media, but just the apparatus, the the caste system of the, the degreed and journo class in this country that thinks that they should be making all of the decisions, no matter how foolish, no matter how unimpressive they are, they should be making all the decisions. I mean, here's a perfect example of what I'm, what I'm talking about. Uh, you have Oxiris Barbeau, I mentioned to you, in New York City. Uh, she is the director of our 6,000-person you know, health department here, and she was the one saying, go party at the Chinese Lunar New Year Festival 
hashtag Wuhan strong when that really seemed like the worst idea imaginable based on everything they've told us since then. Uh, You have Cuomo, who acting on the advice of his own medical personnel, thought that putting COVID infected people, uh, putting COVID infected people inside of a nursing home is uh, not the most horrifically stupid decision, reckless decision imaginable. Uh, So you look at the decision that have been made. Oh, and I'm trying to find that this person in California. Here you go. This is uh, hat tip red state for this one. The woman who is in charge of Los Angeles County, which is a huge county with millions of residents, uh, Los Angeles County policy on health is health director Barbara Ferrer. And she is the one who is pushing for, you know, this to be essentially extended for another 90 days. Quote, Dr. Ferrer received her Ph.D., in social welfare from Brandeis University, a master of arts in public health from Boston University and a master of education from the University of Massachusetts. Bachelor's degree from University of California, Santa Cruz. This is someone who just spent her entire adult life, basically, either in pointless academia, which is what those fields used to, I mean, th- these are not degrees that impress anybody. Uh, or working in the bureaucracy. I mean, a PhD in social welfare? What the heck is that? Producer Mark, if, if, I, if I told you that you had to take dictation about everything you did for your own health for the next six months because someone sat down, they said they have a PhD in social welfare, would you, say, would you feel good about that? Probably not, no. Probably not. Hmm. Probably not. Yeah. I don't think so. This is who is in charge of these decisions for the largest concentrations of people in the country. Bureaucrats who are social justice ideologues who view this through the lens of their their, uh, you know, wokeness and the power dynamics that are at play in a political sense. I mean, to to say that they have any real idea of what what we're going to do, and what's going on here is just it's just absurd. I remember they're they're the decider in a sense. I mean, maybe the governor is the ultimate decider, but they're the ones that push the policy to the governor. The governor will say, this is what my public health expert told us to do. And the public health expert expert says, well, I gave it to the governor. It's the governor's choice. No one's accountable. Doesn't matter. You want to see how bad things actually are getting in L.A. Here you have uh, the mayor of L.A. who is telling us who is saying something that is just one unhelpful and two crazy. Uh, play clip five. I think we have to all recognize that we're not moving beyond COVID-19. We're learning to live with it. Um, it's important not to overreact, but it's important to take this serious because it is as dangerous today as it was the first day that it arrived in our cities and our country. So quite frankly, there's no so-called open state or open country that doesn't continue to have health orders telling us to cover our faces, physically distance, and to tell people that you're safest working from and staying at home. That's all that the county health director was saying, and we can't expect that to disappear in a matter of weeks or even a few months. At the same time, we're learning a lot of really important 
important lessons about how to safely reopen sectors and places. And we have to assess each of those steps, give three or four weeks time to see, is there any additional spread? Are we endangering more people? And how can we keep our most vulnerable safe? So we are learning to live with it at the same moment that we are also learning the lessons of how to do that. Never going to be completely open until a cure, huh? Uh, here's the problem with all of this. Oh, we're just going to learn the science and the steps. There will be more infections and people will die from this disease. That is, that is a, a certainty. No one can deny that. So we're setting this up so that at any point in time, the bureaucrats can just say, well, because people are still getting infected and dying, we're going to seize control of or, or dictate what can happen in this, in this part of the country. This is an open invitation for them to continue doing this. There's no reason. There's no reason to believe that they won't do this again or that we won't be in this back and forth pattern, because what he's saying is, you know, until until there's a cure, we're going to have to tell you what's safe and what's not. They don't know. They don't really. They, well, what do they what do they have to tell you about this? You know, wash your hands, avoid other people. We can't entirely avoid each other. And I also am going to want to know when we get to it, let's say we did cure this tomorrow. When we go into the flu season and you do have uh, thousands of people a month dying from influenza, which does happen every single year. You know, maybe it's 2000, maybe it's 3000, but during the flu season. Right. And I'm not saying it happens every month of the year. Oh, there's that seasonality issue, though, again. But if you have, let's say, 2000 people a month dying from the flu. Well, aren't hotspots then uh, required to shut down? And don't we all have to wear masks and a. If not, why? No one ever answers this. If not, why not? This is, you know, we have a psychological acceptance as a society because it's been around for a long time that the flu is a nasty thing and it kills people. And yet with this, yes, it is worse than flu, but we've gotten to the point where we seem to have no psychological acceptance of the fact that there is risk from this and that some people will get it and some people will die. And that's not going to change. doesn't matter how long they continue. People are dying during the lockdown. So how could we expect that if the lockdowns end, people won't be dying from this? That's absurd. Uh, we're we're going to have to, you know, where, where, I guess, where is the Tea Party, man? I mean, where, where is the pushback against government tyranny? Uh, because this, this is tyranny now. This is tyrannical stuff. And they're arresting people for nonsense. They're shutting down. You know, the, the media loves to do these stories. Oh, somebody opened their business and now they have COVID-19. Yeah, you know what? That person probably wanted to feed their family and was willing to take the risk. Just like we all take risks with our health on any given day. You know, what's the alternative? You're, you're going to let PhDs in public welfare determine when you could leave your house? I'm sorry. I thought this was America. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. But uh, I'll tell you what, to me, I watched this guy for a little while this morning. To me, he's nothing more than a a really uh, disgruntled, unhappy person. And I'm not just talking about Alex, because Alex said it strongly. But there are a lot of people that do not like the job he did. I don't know him. I never met him. I don't want to meet him, but I watched him, and he looks like an angry, disgruntled employee who, frankly, according to some people, didn't do a very good job. An angry, disgruntled employee who didn't do a good job, the president says, of the director of BARDA, who HHS 
called out yesterday. Barta is supposed to be looking at, at new and innovative vaccines. Uh, HHS called this guy out and said he's getting paid like almost 250K or maybe it's, I think it was, might have been more than 250K. Never shows up for his job. <laughs> but he's got time to meet with lawyers so he can go testify about Trump, which is probably a fantastic financial move for him. I'm sure he's going to get you know, one of the uh, left-wing mega publishers out there because publishing companies are primarily left-wing, basically all left-wing organizations, really. Uh, They're going to, not all of them, there are are some that aren't, but generally, uh, they're going to be giving him a nice, big, fat book advance because he's part of the hashtag resistance now. Meanwhile, the administration has moved us to being among, well, we, we are now the best in the world When it comes to, you guessed it, testing. Now, this is important because we had been told that the big problem that we have is we don't have enough tests. And we still are sold. We we don't have enough tests. Oh, what are we going to do about the tests? Uh, They don't like this because the president has taken their favorite talking point away from them. Here he is. uh, Play clip 11. So we have the best testing in the world. It could be the testing's, frankly, Overrated? Maybe it is overrated. But whatever they start yelling, we want more, we want more. You know, they always say, we want more, we want more, because they don't want to give you credit. Then we do more, and they say, we want more. But we have the greatest testing in the world. But what we want is we want to get rid of this thing. That's what we want. We want to get rid of this thing. Well, that's for sure. We all want to get rid of this thing. But we've got to figure out the way to do that while keeping our economy alive. Uh, You're not seeing reporting on this. And that's, I think, part of the ideological skewing on this issue that's going on. But, you know, I, I know everything right now is more locally focused on news in a lot of ways than it would it would normally be, because of how much of, a, of an influence state and local governments are having on people's lives. But here in New York, you had 3,500 people out in Queens, one of the five boroughs of New York City. Uh, I mean, I guess everybody knows that, but I don't know. I feel like a newsman needs to say these things, right? But uh, 3,500 people in Queens were waiting at a, at a food pantry. That's a lot of people in line for food in the largest city in the United States. You know, you'd think you'd think that this would be getting a whole lot of attention, that there are thousands of people who, who can't get can't get food. And, you know, you would want to say, well, hold on. What about PPP? And what about, uh, you know, the public health efforts that are out there and the SNAP program, all these different things? You know, how could people it's not not enough, not working. They don't have food. There weren't thirty five hundred people in line in Queens three months ago looking for food. There weren't 3,500 people in line or whatever the number was. I think it was about this. It was close to that, three or 4,000 in Houston looking for food. I mean, I know the folks listening on this on KPRC, you know, you guys at least are in Texas. So you have a, a real shot of getting some sense of normalcy back in your lives. But for those of us who are living in these blue enclaves, you know, what are they doing? I mean, this is just this nanny state on steroids attitude is so damaging and by the, the, the problem is we have to push now because when it becomes clear how utterly catastrophic the extensions of the lockdown have been and not helpful from a public health standpoint, I, I do not believe that we are getting the benefit that people are stating we are now by continuing in lockdown. Continue. 
if it's true, why isn't Georgia seeing a huge surge in cases? It's been weeks. Is it worth is it worth destroying your entire economy for one percent fewer infections in your state? I mean, this is really where you have to start looking. If start looking at we're going to talk numbers, let's talk numbers. If it if it means that you only have cases slowed but not actually lessened over the course of the next six months, does that is that a great thing now? I mean, is that something we're supposed to be excited about? It, that's what they were telling us. It was about hospital capacity, and we've gone way past that. My friends, we got to organize. We got to get out there, and it's it's time to it's time to take our lives back. That's where we are. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcast, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, team, joining us from Houston, Texas, where he is my fellow host on KPRC and also the host of I'm Right with Jesse Kelly on Pluto TV's The First, Mr. Jesse Kelly. Sir, I know know it's nice to be right, but probably not so great to be right about how we're destroying the country on purpose, right? That's that's a tough one. There's nothing I love more in the world than being right because I'm right so often. Uh, yes, but to answer your question, there's nothing I've been less happy to be right about than this right here. I, I told everybody, I, I don't know how everyone couldn't see it, but the second, the second they announced we were going to lock down the country, I said, uh, you can't do that. Uh, a $20 trillion economy with more moving parts than anybody can imagine doesn't pause. You either let it roll or you slam it into the side of a wall at 200 miles an hour, and we slammed it into the side of a wall, and now we're in bad trouble. It seems to me like people are realizing not only is the the hiding from the virus uh, idea flawed because when you stop hiding, the virus is still out there, right? I mean, this is beyond the fi- the 15 days I've said, and I know, and I, I think that still it holds that the 15 days we could have managed, whether it was a good idea or not. I'll put that aside. We could manage 15 days. Beyond that, this is just this is getting to be completely insane. But people are also seeing that just like when you go outside now, yes, the virus is still out there. When you try to open up economic activity, it's not like, oh, okay, now all the restaurants just flip their lights on and all the stores just have their have their goods and wares and people are lining up to buy them. No, no, it's completely nothing could be further from the truth. And I don't know. I don't know whether this is a university problem or what the deal is with education in America, Buck, but I see all these people, people on our own side, by the way. I understand there are people out there, it's the left, it's the left. No, 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 no. We had most of the right sign on to this stuff, too. And again, I don't know whether this is at universities, they're not teaching business. I understand they're teaching economics, but I I think they really don't teach business. You can't point to a restaurant you can't point to a business and say close your doors and you can open again in a month that that doesn't work at all the costs don't stop costs keep building up and you always have to outpace the costs with the revenue you bring in that's called profit and when you've slaughtered my revenue when you've dropped it to zero or near zero and the costs haven't stopped you finished me you've completely finished me and not only that this business, because of what they do, they keep these people in business and they in turn keep these people in business and they keep these people in business. It all works in sync. It all works together. If you closed even just Major League Baseball for, for, for one season, that's something I'm not. I mean, Major League Baseball, you can't imagine the amount of business loss and job loss around the country that you would think is unconnected to Major League Baseball that you would see. 
Instead, we pointed at the whole economy and told them to screw off. I'm sitting here and I'm shocked. I'm I'm angry. Uh, You know, New York just got told by Governor Cuomo, who is heroic for being an idiot that's made terrible decisions, apparently. I mean, I I don't know. You know, and in the first week or two, we were told that basically maybe two, three million people were going to die. Anybody that had a calm voice and sounded like they were in command was getting a pass in the media. and, And for most folks, I can understand that. But now that we've seen what the actual policy decisions were and the outcomes, I mean, Cuomo put people with COVID in nursing homes. Over 5,000 people in New York alone have died of COVID in nursing homes, including specifically when they had to take people back from the hospital that they thought had COVID-19. And uh, New York is in lockdown until June. I I just want to know, why not just tell us now, Jesse, in some of these blue states that they'll lock us down? As, As California, at least Los Angeles, has said, let's go for the middle of July. Let's be real safe. Let's really make sure the economy is completely on its knees. Well, the thing is, they're, they're not incentivized to do otherwise, Buck. I mean, when you and I can scream all day long about Cuomo and what an idiot he is with his nipple rings and everything else. But the point is, Cuomo's in no danger of getting bounced out of office. New York is a solidly, solidly, solidly blue state. Democrats are going to hold power there forever. He can torpedo his own state's economy. The media is still going to make this guy out to be some kind of hero, even though he literally launched a plague into the homes of the people who are most vulnerable for it. And he's going to come out just fine. The only people, the only person these Democrat governors are really hurting is Donald Trump. And they know it. That's why they're all staying locked down. I think that, you know, you've you've talked before and when we've discussed offline before about the uh the, the national divorce between left and right that, you know, between blue and red that may be coming. I, I think that this situation is going to be uh, among many other issues and, and concerns and problems. But this situation is going to create the largest outflow from blue states to red states that I, I think we've we've seen in the last hundred years. I mean, I just feel like blue states are going to because any anybody that understands how stupid these policies are isn't going to want to be subjected to them again. And Jesse, I keep telling everybody the plan for the flu and COVID season that we're facing is going to be shutting down again. I mean, everyone can pretend that it's, but that's what they think we're going to do. Look, you're sadly right, but I'll tell you something else, Buck, and this is going to sound like I'm going full tinfoil on my head, okay? So just bear with me. Don't scream. Oh, let it rip, Alex Jones. Let I it rip. Can see a... Oh, yeah. Here we go. I can see a scenario where this entire thing ends the United States of America, period. And here's why, here's what I mean by that. You are now at the point where you are way past the 100% mark of debt to GDP. We are now running up a $4 trillion debt this year. We have another $3 trillion bill coming. Republicans are even, they're already caving. Well, this is dead on arrival. I mean, kind of. Well, I guess we kind of like it. So let's just assume that's going to pass. So we're piling on massive amounts of debt. Well, at the same time, the nation has torpedoed its revenue generation meaning that debt you're piling on was bad enough, but you're actually launching it into outer space because you're not bringing in any money. And if you get to a point where we cannot pay our creditors back, you are one small thing away from an economic collapse. And I mean collapse. It'll make the recession in 2008, 2009 look like a boom. You get to that point in time, Forget about this national divorce stuff you and I have joked about before. That's the breakup of the country. We'll end up with six different countries here. 
Speaking of Jesse Kelly, host of I'm Right with Jesse Kelly on Pluto TV's channel 248, The First, and also my fellow host on KPRC Houston, a wonderful radio station. And we get to speak to some great Houstonians. Uh, and when the world stops ending, if it stops ending, uh, I'm going to have to come down there and visit the KPRC folks. And Jesse can show me the best barbecue place in the Houston area, assuming that we're allowed to go to barbecue places, which I you know who knows at this point. I think you can do you can do takeout. And to tell me that, I mean, I, I have this I'm here in New York and I'm trying to, you know, as you know, Jesse, right now we're talking to people all over the country. I mean, in, in, in states everywhere. Uh, how's it going in Texas? How's your reopen? You guys are, are certainly well ahead of where New York, New York City is. Uh, how's it how's it looking for you so far? Well, it's going exactly like you'd expect in a state like Texas. The governor gave these guidelines that you could you could open at 25 percent. Certain businesses could. So, of course, they opened. And don't get me wrong. Restaurants are trying. They'll have one out of every three tables available to sit down. But people are flocking into them. Last weekend, because I'm now the ultimate suburban white person, I went furniture shopping and I went to a restaurant and I went to Target. You know, the ultimate suburban white person to-do list. And every single one of them had full parking lots, full of people. The roads are now getting packed. Traffic is back. Texans are out in droves and it ain't at 25 percent. So whatever permission the governor is giving us with all their, you know, newfound authority in this country, Texans are out. Well, it's funny to me because I, I get a lot of pushback, as you do as well, on, on social media from the lockdown consensus. And one of the things they'll always say when I say, look, we need to open up is you first. Like, oh, sick burn. I'm sitting here. I'm like, yeah, I've run. I've run the stats, looked at the numbers, looked at the data. And I'm not going to hide in my apartment forever because I have a one in 10,000 chance of dying from a respiratory infection that's out there. I'm not going to do it. So I, so I will go out. I will shop. I, I will spend money. These morons can stop saying you first. I want to be first. Sign me up. Yeah, look, let's be honest, Buck. What we've seen, this, this, this economic destruction, which I'm not going to go over again. We talked about it enough today. But this economic destruction we've seen, this is all over a virus that by any metric at this point in time has a 99.99% survivability rate. If you had told anybody, at any point in history, in any nation, in the history of the world, that a country would destroy its own economy for a virus with a 99.99% survivability rate, they would have laughed in your face and told you there's no way any nation on earth would be dumb enough to do that. And yet we did it as a matter of policy, and people are still defending it. Why is it going as slowly as it is even in Texas? I mean, you guys have a, you have a, a Republican governor who seems like he's reasonably squared away. Uh, you have plenty of people that clearly want to enjoy their freedoms. I'm just is ever is everyone just too frightened to go ahead of the federal guidance and say, I mean, Governor Kemp, remember, Governor Kemp and Trump, I, you know, as much as we love the Trump agenda, Trump kind of threw him under the bus a little bit was like, I think Governor Kemp's moving too fast. And guess what? Georgia's fine. And it's been over two weeks. You think it's you think that the pol- the politicians just won't take the risk? Yes, they're all risk averse and what they're all trying to do is thread the needle, thread the needle. And I'm sorry, Buck, everybody knows I'm an anti-leftist, far right wing hack. I don't I don't try to be a journalist, but let's be honest about this. Republicans from top to bottom have been putrid during this whole thing. 
all of them leading from behind, going along with whatever the public seems to be saying. Well, they're scared, so I can't really say. They're all trying to have their cake and eat it, too. And look, I even like my governor, like you pointed out. But open up at 25 percent? We're going to he actually said we're going to open up at 25 percent and we're going to test it for two weeks and see if there's any kind of a spike. We're just going to dip our toesies in the water. And if it's safe, as long as no one gets hurt, then maybe we'll do a little. What the what? One, you don't even have the authority to tell businesses they have to shut down like that, and especially because it's clearly not an emergency. Two, open up and let people make the choice. That's all I want is letting people make the choice. But the GOP, look. They lack balls. Jesse Kelly, everybody, go listen to him on KPRC Houston uh, and also watch on Pluto TV's channel 248. The first I'm right with Jesse Kelly, also the Buck Sexton show. So those are the you basically got a dynamic duo on KPRC Houston and on Pluto TV 248. The first Jesse Kelly, go go eat some, uh, you know, go eat some red meat. And uh, wave some American flags around your, your yard for us, because here in New York, it's just feeling like the commies are in control. Y'all hang in there, Buck. <laughs> Thanks, man. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Today, we're announcing a groundbreaking initiative to replenish and modernize our strategic national stockpile. The cupboards were bare. You've heard me say it a lot. When we came into this administration, those cupboards were bare. I've come to this major medical supply distribution hub because the workers here at Owens and Minor have a critical role in this national effort. So we're replenishing stockpiles. Trump is moving on that one. And there's also Operation Warp Speed. The president gave a press conference about this one today uh, where they're going to get ready to manufacture doses of vaccine before we even know if we have a vaccine that works we're going to be manufacturing a whole lot of vaccine and uh they're they're trying to get uh, under operation warp speed they've got uh glaxo smith klein former glaxo smith klein head uh salawi monsef salawi who is going to be leading that project they're going to try to get 300 million doses of a COVID-19 vaccine by the end of the year, uh, which look, if they if they pull this off, it'll be one of the most amazing, you know, scientific. I mean, they're calling it a Manhattan Project for antivirus efforts. Right. I mean, this this is and this is what it needs to be. I mean, there's there is nothing more important in the world right now than beating this. You notice how I haven't spent that much time today because we've already talked a lot about that, you know, the deep state and Flynn and all that. And I cover that. And, you know, I'm on that and have been for years. But this is the most important thing that's happening in the world, as we know. And I don't ever want us to be uh, stewing in the agony of what's happening to the planet because of this virus. But I also think that we always need to be making sure that we stay focused on the policy response, the economics, that we stay connected with each other on what's going on here. Uh, with regard to the virus, because while the, the journos can play games about whether a Trump aide wore a mask yesterday or not, or, you know, what what Pence did at some facility, whatever it is. We need to focus on how we get past this and get our lives back. So 300 million doses of vaccine by the end of the year. And they're testing many different candidates right now. Um, and they're starting the production of them before clinical trials. So the idea is that you're going to have a lot of bullets in the chamber, so to speak, against the virus. 
And in this case, you're you're really going to, you know, end up deciding you're going to have to load up a lot of chambers, you know, a lot of different rounds from a lot of different viruses ready to fire as soon as you find out that this thing is safe and works against the virus. And this is pulling together private big pharma. Oh, big pharma, the enemy. Yeah, big pharma may save the planet right now. So maybe we should stop trashing them uh, in the media all the time. Oh, they're so greedy and horrible. I mean, yeah, there's abuses. There's abuses in every industry. Look at journalism, for heaven's sakes. It's like a like a disgusting sewer of idiocy all the time. Uh, Government agencies going together with pharmaceutical companies. They're going to try to cut the development time, according to Fortune here, by uh, for a vaccine by as much as eight months. Wow. Look, uh, if if they pull this off. If they pull this off, uh, it would be uh, amazing. But let's we can't celebrate early. That's that's psychologically catastrophic. You can't celebrate early and then find out, you, you know, you didn't win the race. Right. You can't do that. And I, I think that uh, we still need to we still need to assume that we're going to do right now what is best for the country based on the data we have and not hope for. The, as I said earlier, the lottery ticket. I mean, what they're telling me here, what this is, the lottery ticket analogy still stands, but this is, we're, we're spending like a million dollars on lottery tickets. And we're throwing so much in terms of resources. I mean, we've never done this before. So maybe take some, you know, I also want us to always be focused on the, on the positive here. I mean, I'm, I'm angry about the shutdowns and what it's doing to the economy, but the virus is not as deadly as we thought it was, not even close. So that's certainly something to be, you know, to be really feel good about. I mean, it's not obviously it's a virus. It's still killing people. But can you imagine? I mean, if the death toll right now was if, if, it, if this disease were what we were led to believe it was in the early weeks of uh, of March. We, we could very easily be looking at a death toll of, you know, three or four hundred thousand people, five or six hundred thousand people. And, and that would you know, that would rock the country, obviously, even more than it already has been substantially more. So but let's let's also remember that there is always the chance that something really big will come through. Um, you know, the the data you haven't heard me talking about hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin here on the show, because all the data that I've been seeing recently is discouraging. Doesn't mean that it's definitive, but it's discouraging. Um, so we, we are still waiting to. And I've also seen some I have I've had some people send me I had a, I had an MD actually send me uh, a, a theory that there has been a, a movement away from the full testing of this merely because of all the politics against it. People said the politics were pushing it, but now there's a politics against it. So I, I need to dig into that more. But we clearly don't have a, a cure or else we'd all know. Um, can we get 300 million doses of this? Of a, of a worthwhile vaccine by the end of 2020 this year. Do you believe in miracles? Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Some of you may have caught the, the line I managed to sneak in there so slightly right before uh, we took a, a breather there. And yes, indeed, I, I did watch on producer Mark's recommendation the movie Miracle, and I will say, Producer Mark, I think you've redeemed yourself from the Uncut Gems debacle because Miracle was a very enjoyable film. Of course it was. It's arguably the best sports movie ever. 
I mean, so I, I started, it's funny you bring that up, Producer Mark, because I started a thread last night, and I, this is controversial, and I'm not going to say that I'm necessarily right on this one, and we can invite, Producer Nick, you can write into me on text right now and tell me where you are on this one. But the, I, I said the, the, the greatest sports movies all time ranked, and uh, we got almost 2,500 <laughs> responses to this last night. I was just sitting on my couch watching. I, actually, to be fair, I wasn't watching Miracle, but I put the five greatest movies and so many people were saying that Miracle should be on the list. And then I said, well, producer Mark told me to watch it, too. Now I got to watch it. So I watched it and it's very, very good. And I think you could even say it would knock off number five on my list. I'd be fair and say it or maybe number maybe move five to four and then and put Miracle on, on the list at the four spot. But so I had I, I'm very confident in my, my number one. Uh, my number one on the list was Rocky. Now, you can make a case that Rocky four is also. But I view Rocky, all the Rocky movies as kind of a continuation of Rocky one. But I think Rocky one is the greatest sports movie of all time. That's yes. my contention. I put and now people did not. Producer Mark, can we agree that Rocky is one of the greatest sports movies of all time? Of course. No doubt. OK, I will say that people did not. Yeah, producer Nick says, I'll say Too Few Lists had Sandlot on them. That's not even a sports movie. That's a kid's movie. Oh, you're kidding, right? The Sandlot is a sports movie the way that Die Hard is a Christmas movie. What do they do during Sandlot, Sandlot, Buck? I mean, I guess they're technically playing baseball, but they're like 10 years old, aren't they? Who cares? The Mighty Ducks is a sports movie. I mean, I do like the big dog and, you know, uh, and the James Earl Jones makes a fantastic appearance in the movie, so... So there's that. I've never seen Mighty Ducks, so I will. I, and now on your rec, because you're good on the sports movie. You're one for one on sports movies. On, you know, anxious guys selling jewels to All NBA right. stars, you're zero for one. But uh, for you're one for one on the. But I so I had Rocky and producer Nick is wearing it, too, because this got everyone fired up. I will say a few a few things that came to me as I was thinking about this last night. The it, it is it is it is noteworthy, I think. I mean, it's noticeable, perhaps a better way of saying it, noticeable how some sports don't have any good movies about them at all. OK, there are really very few good. Now, there are good documentaries, but I'm talking about scripted theatrical. So people would say like Hoop Dreams. Hoop Dreams is a great, a great uh, film for what it is, but it's not a movie in the sense of a theatrical uh, release that is a fiction, you know, or that's a. Uh, you know, telling a story like that. I mean, it's really a documentary in film form. Um, so I, I think that's you think about what's a great basketball movie. Hoosiers, certainly high on the list. A lot of people are throwing Hoosiers out there. No great tennis movies that I've ever. I mean, I, and I, I'm a tennis player. We're, I we're like talking tennis. about sports movies. But. Wow. Wow. <laughs> the range is hot. Look at this. Producer Mark throwing lead down the range toward the tennis players. Um. Okay, we got Rizzuto. Okay, wait, wait. Rizzuto sent his list. All right, wait, hold on. Rizzuto sent his list. I've got my list here that I need to read off first, and you can all throw tomatoes at me because I got, I got lit up. I basically got dragged on Twitter for my top five sports movies list. Producer Mark agrees. Rocky, number one. I put Rudy at number two. Now, you don't have to say that Rudy is your t- second favorite sports movie of all time, but I do think that there's general agreement that Rudy is a great sports movie. Producer Mark, yay or nay? Agree with you. Yes, of course. Okay, great sports movie. I got a little more, you know, a little more on the edge when I got to my number three here. Wait, and I, like, I know people are going to say Field of Dreams. 
Field of Dreams, go back and watch it again. I mean, I know it's a nice movie, but no one's like, let me watch Field of Dreams again. Let me watch Field of Dreams again. Come on. No way. No way. Uh, guy's building a baseball field out in the out in the corn stalks or whatever. It makes no sense. Major League, I put it my number three, which I and it's also, I think, a great comedy. Maybe not top 10, but I think you could argue Major League might be in the top 20 or 30 all time best comedy film. I think Major League is a great movie. Really funny, holds up really well. The characters are excellent. Am I, am I, am I, I know I'm not, I'm not saying you agree with it, producer Mark, but am I crazy yet? Because I'll tell you not, what people started. You're not crazy. I think Major League is one of the better sports movies. I really did enjoy it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So then, then I moved up on the list and this is where people just started really like, I, I said Creed. I really liked the movie Creed. I thought it was, I thought Sylvester Stallone managed to be excellent in it. I thought it was going to be really bad, and it wasn't. So I put it at number four. Now, that's a controversial pick, and I understand that. People started to, they started to throw. Did you yeah. see that movie? Did you like that Oh, movie? I love Creed. I think it's a great movie, but is it the top five greatest sports movies of all time? Like, come on. You, I would throw and, that and in was, with the Rocky series. Yeah, yeah. It should be in, the, it should be in with the Rocky. Yeah, it's I, I, would take, I would take a mulligan on this one. It should be in with the Rocky series. That's fair. I also put Friday Night Lights in there. Which people no. really did not. No, like. no, no. They really that was. They were like, "You're out of your mind, Sexton. What is wrong with you?" And that's also where I'll say that the two movies that came up the most that people were telling me, you know, you, you got to have on your on the list here for the best sports movies of all time, um, were Miracle, which I then went and watched last night because so many people, plus producer Mark, had already told me, and I told him I would. I watched it up to like you know one thirty in the morning to watch Miracle last night. Very good movie. I'm a, one of Kurt Russell's best movies, and I'm actually a Kurt Russell fan. Yeah. I mean, I think Tombstone is his best. I'm probably then Big Trouble in Little China just because I love that movie, even though it's absurd. But, I mean, it's, it's a top five Kurt Russell. And producer Nick, I'm sure, has his top Kurt Russell films that he could send us to. But, uh, oh, yeah, speaking of producer Nick, he wrote in, he said, Raging Bull, Hoosiers, Rudy, Rocky, Sandlot. Uh, honorary, <laughs> he gave an honorary mention to Cool Runnings. Producer Mark, you will have to deal with all the incoming on this one. What are your top five uh, greatest sports movies of uh, all time? Uh, in no particular order. Fine, no, in no order. We'll just. Give I'm going to go. Top five. Definitely Miracle. Remember the Titans. I'm shocked nobody has mentioned. People mentioned that in my in my thread, but go ahead. That is an amazing movie. Um, Mighty Ducks has to be in there for me. I'm going to go with, I, I, I kind of want to put Moneyball in there. Have you ever seen it? Yeah, I, I mean, but I feel like it's more of a sports management movie. You're right. So that's movie. why I don't really want to so put it in there, but it, it is a very good sports movie. Um, I'll say Hoosiers, definitely, and I got to go Slapshot. I mean, I know my list is mostly I was going to ask you, is yeah. Slapshot, I, I had... Uh, Emerald Robinson from uh, One America News wrote to me that I'm insane because I did not put Slapshot on there. I had never, I, I, I don't even think I had heard of this movie before. Yeah, it is a cult classic for hockey fans. People love, this is a, a, a Paul Newman film? Yeah. yeah, and his brother was in it too. So what's interesting is there, there are good football movies, there are good hockey movies. They're good boxing. Now, boxing, I actually think you could take up. I, I think you could make a case. 
that Rocky, and again, all of Rocky goes into Rocky 1 as far as, otherwise it's just, you know, it could be Rocky 1, Rocky 4, Rocky 2, you know, Creed. I mean, you get all these, you know, some of them are garbage. Like Rocky 5 was an abomination, but, you know. Uh, but then you see some of the other, I think you can make a strong case. Cinderella Man is a fantastic movie for what it is. And I also think that uh, The Fighter with Mark Wahlberg and the guy who plays Batman, uh, Christian Bale, excellent movie. Excellent yeah, movie. But uh, they're not worthy of a top five list. I'm glad people didn't do. Usually when you say the greatest movies, people do this nostalgia based thing where they go, oh, the greatest sports movie of all time is Chariots of Fire. I'm uh, like, let's not go crazy there. Well, exactly. Let's not. Just because it's old doesn't mean it's great. OK, some old stuff is great, but no movies a lot. It's very hard for movies to stand the test of time. And that's why when they do, I mean, I, like I think Casablanca, for example, I mean, there are movies that are still somehow magical today that were magical a long time ago. And I'm not talking about 20 years ago. I'm talking about, you know, 50 years ago. Um, you know, there are some, but a lot of a lot of movies, the acting st- acting style has changed dramatically. Production value has changed dramatically. It's very tough for them to stay, you know, as as uh, as good as they were. And I think a lot of nostalgia pushes it. So interesting. Bull Durham also Ted Senator Ted Cruz came in. I mean, I can tell you some people really got fired up about this yeah. thread. Uh, Senator Ted Cruz came in with how Bull Durham absolutely needs to be on this list. Producer Mark, what say you? What about, uh, I'm not going to, I've never actually seen Bull Durham, but I'm going to go with, what about Happy Gilmore? Do we count that Come as a sports on. movie? You have a, you have an Adam Sandler thing. That's well, what this really is. Oh, all right, you're not telling me that 80s and 90s Adam Sandler isn't great. I mean, it was funny, but I don't know if really? it's great as sports. I don't know if it's great as I'm sports. Not, I was asking if you considered Happy Gilmore a sports movie. Um, no, I think it's no, because uh, I don't think it's really about the sport at all. I think it's like I think it's a straight up comedy. I don't yeah. think you'd really consider it. A, this is where you start getting into like is Gladiator an action movie? I mean, you know, there are these there are these these fuzzy zones, you know, but uh, it, it's anyway, I'm just saying you could also, you know, if you're really into ice skating, you could be into the cutting edge, for example, from the 90s. I remember that one. With, I, uh, Tanya, everyone really liked recently. That is a really good movie. Yeah. I agree. It's not a great, not really a sports like, movie, but sports. No, but it's, a, but it's really a, it's a character study. It's really not a great sports movie. You know, it's not really about the sports. I'm just yeah. saying. I mean, this is this is my theory on these things. But anyway, so so okay. I'm glad. To, so basically, you agree with me. Rudy and Rocky are great, and then you love a bunch of hockey movies. So we have settled yeah. it. Okay, fair enough. But I did watch Miracle. It was quite good, and I did love the accents of all the guys from Boston and the beef between Boston and Minnesota. And by the way, you need to give a shout out to our wonderful station up in Minneapolis. Uh, but it, you know, the, I got to tell you the, the Boston accents were fantastic in it, which is always fun. That's the best part about that movie. You're in the freedom hut. This is the Buck Sexton show podcast. Special guests for you all here on Friday. We are joined now by Miss Nicole Arbor. She is a comedian and entrepreneur, owns a marketing agency. Some of you have probably seen her stuff on YouTube. Ms. Nicole. Hey. Thank you so much for joining hey, us. Hey, what up? So thank you, you for having me. Yeah, you you are the, the first uh, international voice, in a sense, that we're having join here to tell us about what it's like in quarantine, as you are amongst yeah. our, our brothers and sisters from the north up in Canada right now. How are things going up there? I mean, is, is Toronto locked down the same as New York locked down, but everyone's nicer and everything's cleaner? Well, exactly that. But I think that's a, a derivative of everyone got $2,000. So what's going on right now in Canada is all of the citizens are getting $2,000 each per month, which kind of makes people not as upset. 
So it makes a lot of sense. And yeah, we're all on lockdown still. We're all locked down. Uh, the stores are starting to open as of today, which is dope. But uh, yeah, we're locked down. And uh, companies are getting 75% of people's pay incentive. So the government is paying up to 75% of people's wages, which again is awesome so that they don't get laid off. Now, now I, I know Canadian dollars aren't quite worth what American dollars are, but uh, it seems like you guys are still... No, it's, it's monopoly money. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like you guys are still... Yeah, isn't like the Queen of England still on your money? But anyway, it seems like you guys... I, I don't know why she's there. <laughs> it seems like you guys are spending... Oh, I mean, look, we are t- in America. We're just like, hey, we're just, you know, bills, bills out of helicopters right now. But is anyone up there concerned yeah. in the great in the great uh, north of Canada that, uh, you know, things might be getting a little bit too pricey if you're paying people two thousand dollars a month to not do anything? Yeah, there's a very troubling interview that came out with our finance minister on Friday. I'm not sure when this guy's airing. Uh, he couldn't answer a single simple question about the Canadian finances. And he switched to some crazy buzzwords and bull- every single time. He didn't know a single factor stat. So. At this point, I, I, I declared, I'm like, yo, I'm not a liberal anymore. I can't be. You guys are too stupid. I just can't be associated with this crew. You're printing funny money. It's monopoly money. It's nice that the people are taken care of, but you guys realize this is real money, right? And they can't answer that question. So who knows? Maybe we're going to be living off Timbits and hockey for a while. I have, I have no idea. Yeah, there's, there's always the barter economy where, you know, the prettiest seashell will get you you know, potatoes or whatever. You, we could go back to that. If, if we keep playing with money the way we are, we may be in some real trouble. I, actually, we definitely will be in some real trouble. It's a question of how bad the trouble will be. I consider myself a pretty seashell, so maybe I'll be okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, so tell me this. That's what OnlyFans is for. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to tell you, this is a conservative radio audience. I don't think they have any idea what Only... Well, I think very few of them know what OnlyFans is. Although my understanding is that yeah. for the entrepreneurial out there, um, the amount of money that is going to that while people are in lockdown has skyrocketed and like Tinder, for example, and some of those things has collapsed. Yeah, I believe, well, those of you who don't know, OnlyFans, they're actually expanding. It's basically like a Patreon, but a lot of glamour models went on it and are doing sexy things, but they are expanding into producing their own entertainment and stuff like that now. They made $700 million for their influencers within the last year and they take 20% of that, so that's a pretty dope business. That is amazing. I did not know that that was the kind of money that they were bringing in on that. That is astonishing. Dropping the dollars. Yeah. 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 Look, I mean, this is why people are are all talking about the stock market and how if you want to go back to work, it's because you just care about the stock market prices. Well, actually, I mean, if you own like Netflix, Google and Amazon, you're still doing pretty darn well. Actually, things haven't really changed all that much. It's the other businesses where people make stuff. uh, And if you're in the airline industry, if you're in the restaurant industry, if you're in, you know, anything that has to do with retail, you're in the midst of the retail apocalypse. What's the mood like, though? I mean, one of the things I, I know that you spent a lot of time here in the States, but now you've been up in Canada. Your family's yeah. Canadian. What's the mood like for Canadians right now about the lockdowns? Because we're finally starting to have in the blue states people say this is nuts. We can't keep doing this. There's been a lot of polite anger. The Canadian anger is not the same as American anger. It's been polite and now we're starting to relax it, but I agree with the, the outrage that's going on in the blue states now. Like that barber in Michigan that opened up his shop, that's what needs to happen. And I think we need a little bit more outrage moving forward because no one's gonna be there to bail your business out. It's not gonna happen. If you are a small business owner, I'm the daughter of a blue collar worker. We grew up with a family business, a small family business. 
no one's going to bail you out. There's going to be nothing to go back to after the lockdown if you don't open. And the stats just don't back it up, as we know. It doesn't back it up that it's worth staying locked down anymore. So open, deal with the ticket, deal with whatever happens. You have to support your family. And that's what I think people need to do. And Canadians, you too. It's okay to get a little angry. <laughs> Even the Canadians are getting a little bit a uh, little bit upset about this. That that means that clearly the governor reach has, has gotten crazy. Uh, I, I wanted to also uh, just... yeah. We do this. We shake our fist. Yeah. Is that really a thing? I have spent very, you know, a shockingly little time in Canada. I think I've been there. I've only been there really for camping trips where I didn't see any human beings. And uh, yeah, so I know what your wolves and bears look like. That's about it. Well, that makes sense for why when you made a tweet about your favorite sports movies of all time, there was no Mighty Ducks in it, which really upset me. <laughs> okay. We're, you know what? No that's, Mighty Ducks. This is a perfect, this is a perfect yeah. transition. We were talking about this right, right before. And uh, I didn't realize we had like senators weighing in on that. People went nuts on the sports movies. So let's <laughs> let's come back. Awesome. Yeah, let's come back and, and weigh in on some sports movies and also uh, some other ways that one can keep oneself entertained and, and, you know, positive in quarantine. We're speaking to Nicole Arbor, comedian, entrepreneur, online personality. We'll be back in just a second. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, guys, we're back with comedian, online personality, entrepreneur, Nicole Arbor. And she is up in Canada, where she's originally from. And she was actually just telling us in, in a break there about how you can't even leave. So, see, I think people don't really get this. You can't, I mean, because technically, I mean, technically, travel from Canada to the United States is international. You know, you do need a, yep. quote, passport for this, uh, yeah. <laughs> e- even though nothing seems different and no one really seems to, you know, care but uh you can't do that right now you guys are not allowed really just normal travel back and forth no it's it's very strongly advised against there's travel warnings every day i check every single day and it still is 100 percent advised against going to america right now so at least until june 14th i am in canada and I don't even know if I'm going back to L.A. now after after what's going on there. I don't know why I would. Wait a second. I, I detect a little because you have this sometimes where like European countries will put out these advisories like there are too many shootings in America. Like, be careful when you travel. I want to be like, <laughs> like, go, yeah. go, go, go sightseeing in Omaha. You'll be just fine, everybody. Like, stop with this craziness. Yeah, you know, it's like, oh, exactly. like, wear a vest, whatever. It, it, is is yeah. it, you know, is it the, the case that now are Canadians afraid of coming to America because of the headlines and the cases here? Is that, is that kind of what's being put on that you put on you guys? I mean, you're not helping. Like yeah. the, the news is not helping at all. And frankly, I think we're more scared of your politicians at this point because we're seeing some absolute morons. I'm not talking about the president. I'm talking about absolute morons that are standing at podiums giving talks that make no sense. Nancy Pelosi, AOC, just people that are obviously stupid human beings trying to tell us what to do. And you got to break it down to, man, remember that politicians aren't necessarily the smartest of the bunch going and you know doing this and helping the people and now that we have a pandemic why am i listening to this moron i mean the, the, you know elon musk is back to work dana white's back to work those dudes are smart they run businesses they innovate they make things they make money i think we got to listen to them and the politicians are terrifying yeah well the, <laughs> the public health experts all people like to conflate public health expert with actual scientists slash practicing medical personnel or, or, or you know, world-class yeah. level medical mind. In L.A., you have a person 
with a PhD in public welfare, making the real calls about how quickly oh. they open. Well, that makes you feel better, right? That's an ad- it, that's adorable. That's an adorable little piece and, of paper, and, isn't and, it? And, yeah. And, yeah, I don't even know that was a degree you could get. And in New York, you have somebody who, granted, yeah. was a pediatrician 20-some-odd years ago, pediatrician, um, and now yeah. has really specialized in health equity, which I think is a fascinating little social justice area of, of study. Uh, so that's been her, her realm. Basket weaving. Yeah, it, it yeah. seems to me that, you know, people should really question why we're all listening, and especially because they've also gotten things horrifically wrong. But before we, we let you get back to all the uh, maple syrup drinking and ice hockey, you see this transition? Let's I'm talk. literally drinking maple syrup water right now. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Yes, she is. Uh, talk, yeah. talk to me a little bit. You know, you, you saw the, this tweet that I just sort of, I was kind of bored of watching a movie, and I was like, the five best sports oh. movies. And people were like, Buck, you're a savage. This is a terrible list. So tell me. Oh, I wouldn't call you a savage. You're, you're trash, man. You're trash. Yeah, and people, people <laughs> I mean were, it with love. I mean it with yeah, love. They were, like, we didn't have Mighty Ducks. I need some cool runnings. See me as a girl, uh, some bring it on would be awesome. Uh, it is still harder to become an NBA cheerleader than it is to become an American politician. Just saying uh, it's a harder process. Uh, Wait, but we got to yeah, get you on the you best, the three. best sports movie. Our producer says it's miracle. Another producer okay. says that it's I think Nick producer, Nick, did you say bull Durham? I think he said bull Durham. What is the best? Oh, sports, that's good. Best sports movie Remember of all time. Nicole. Remember the Titans. Really? I know. I know you're going to make fun of me. I'm a cheerleader. I've been a cheerleader my whole life. There's that moment where it's like, we are the Titans. You play that in the morning and try to not be hyped up. Exactly. I'm going to add this. My producer was so sure. Producer Mark was so sure that I would love Miracle that I actually watched it last night because I got also so trashed in that thread. Although people agreed with me on Rocky and Rudy. Those were the safe choices. It was the rest of my stuff that everyone's like, you're the worst. So I watched Miracle. (laughs) Miracle is very good. But I have to I've never yeah. seen Remember the Titans. And I actually do. Lo- I think Denzel Washington is one of the finest actors of his generation. So there's that. Of and he's course. not Canadian. Just saying. Unlike a lot of our great That's actors. <laughs> You're welcome. But also don't forget about Cool Runnings. Feel the rhythm. Haven't, it's really good. I haven't seen that one either. But Nicole Arbor, everybody, follow her. I know, I know. <laughs> it's like I'm. It's like I've been living in a box all this time. It's like I've been on lockdown my whole life. Nicole Arbor, everybody, check her out on uh, social media. She's on Twitter. She's on Facebook. She's all over the place. She's a comedian. Nicole, come back and hang out with us again soon, and stay safe up there. I'm down. Thank Thanks. you. Bye, Buck. Bye, America. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Let me just say that what the president is saying about China is interesting. It's an interesting diversion. Right now, our focus should be on meeting the needs of the American people. I've even said putting aside how we got here in our own country, because we should be using our energy on how we go forward than making judgments about what his administration did or didn't do. We're talking about going forward. There'll be plenty of time for after-action review. And apart from what we do, there'll be scientists and others who will be tracing rightfully, not only rightfully so, it's urgent and needed for them to trace the origins of such a pandemic scientifically, but not politically. And again, let's keep our focus on meeting the needs of the American people, opening our economy. Pelosi says it's a diversion for Trump to point the finger at China for the start of and the suppression of initial information and those critical weeks and months 
that happened because of the Chinese Communist Party. It's a diversion, she, she says. Meanwhile, Governor Cuomo here in New York keeps referring to the Wuhan coronavirus as a European virus. He does this repeatedly. Why are these people running cover for China or what is at play here and what should we be doing about the Chinese Communist Party right now? To answer those questions, we are joined by our friend Jack Posobiec of One America News Network. He's also a former naval intelligence officer. Mr. Posobiec, good to have you, sir. Mr. Saxon, it's great to be here. All right, man, let's first start with a diversion, Pelosi says, to uh, point the finger of blame at China. Do we, do we have any doubts that the Chinese Communist Party is uh, wasn't just derelict in its duty, but was officially and, and clearly lying, dishonest in what they showed the world? Yeah, I mean, the Chinese followed the old Soviet playbook when it came to Chernobyl, right? When something happens, when something goes wrong, instead of letting the world know, instead of getting the information out, instead of letting transparency run its course so that you can take precautionary measures as soon as possible. And I, and I know it's been said it again and again, but we have apparently have to keep saying it because Pelosi is out here. You know, she used to be good on the China issue, uh, but not so much anymore. What they were doing was they originally in Wuhan, they were locking up dissenters. They were locking up doctors who were trying to uh, to trying to raise the alarm, raise awareness about this thing. And furthermore, they even went forward with big gala dinners in downtown Wuhan after they already knew this thing was circulating throughout the country. This is very similar to what happened in Chernobyl, where the Soviet government allowed Victory Day. That's sort of the the big Russian um, where the tank, the missile parades and the tanks are going through and everybody. And it's not just in Moscow. It's every city. Um, so across Ukraine and Belarus, which are closer to where the actual Chernobyl incident took place, everybody's outside, they're celebrating, they're getting hit with the aftermath, they're getting hit with the fallout of Chernobyl. This is the exact same playbook that was followed in Wuhan by the Chinese Communist Party. It got to the point, and I'm, as a Mandarin linguist, I'm reading a lot of this stuff on Chinese social media, Pat, because they're tweeting about it, or, or it's got something called Weibo, sort of a Twitter clone, uh, and they're posting these things faster than the communist censors can take them down. It's spreading like wildfire. And so it got to a point where they're, they tried to get the doctors to sign these self-incrimination statements. Uh, this is something that harkens back to the days of the Cultural Revolution under Chairman Mao. You know, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry that I've, uh, that I've spread rumors against the country. I'm so sorry that I took a stance that was against the revolution. And even, by the way, even being considered uh, on the right, right, the word rightist, in uh, in china in those days and even really today is considered an insult it's almost like a crime to even be on the right side of the political spectrum so if you're a rightist you know you have to apologize and and, and you know self-fallagiate yourself in public and so what happened here was not only did this thing spread throughout china but then even after the lockdowns took place within the city of wuhan they were still allowing international flights to be conducted for Chinese tourists and travelers that were going out of China to other countries. And nobody has really been able to provide a good answer for why the Chinese government allowed that to happen when they already knew they had a problem. And we're starting to get indications that they knew they had a problem as far back as November in terms of this thing. Uh, also, German intelligence, BND is out there, and Der Spiegel, massive scoop by them, saying that at one point, Xi Jinping called uh, 
um, Dr. Tedros of the WHO to ask him to play down the reports of human-to-human -human transmission. This is back in January. So if we can go with that German intelligence report, we're going with everything that we obviously know that took place publicly. There's no question that this thing would have been prevented if the countries of the world, if our international systems had had that information from the start. That is on the feet of at the feet of the Chinese Communist Party. That is at the feet of Xi Jinping. We're speaking to Jack Posobiec of One America News Network. He is a Mandarin linguist and was a naval intelligence officer. You know, there's a new data. This just, this just came out today from the Washington, I mean, the New York Post. Well, not, not the commie post, the New York Post. Leaked data suggests that China may have 640,000 coronavirus cases instead of the claimed 80,000. Does that sound about right wow. to you, Jack, based on how much dishonesty and dissembling we've seen from the Chinese Communist Party? Well, we know the numbers out of China are false. And the, and the issue is when we're talking about how this thing spreads, we know it's ter terribly contagious. We know it's very quick. And we know that it spreads quickly in dense cities. So you're not going to find denser cities anywhere in the world than in China. And certainly Wuhan is an extremely dense city. That being said, even at a, a population that's between 10 to 15 million, that isn't even one of the largest cities in China. That's actually what they would consider sort of a second tier or mid tier city, uh, not even in the realm of uh, Beijing or Shanghai, which are each, which are both 20 plus million people. That's that's larger than many U.S. states, uh, to put it in perspective. So the idea that they had less deaths is, I mean, it's a joke. It's a, it's a complete farce. And the problem that the Communist Party has on their hands, and that Xi Jinping and his his cult of personality, which is backfiring on him, uh, he's really the first Chinese chairman of the PLA, or excuse me, of the CCP, to uh, to really institute a cult of personality since the days of Chairman Mao. Um, the families of the Chinese people, the Lao Bai Xing, the old hundred names, sort of the, the, you know, the Chinese, the working class folks, they know who they've lost, right? They know that if they've lost mom, they've lost dad, grandma, grandpa, and honoring your elders is still very, very big in Chinese traditional culture. I mean, they still do something called tomb sweeping day every year where you go out, you clean up the cemetery. Uh, you you put you know garlands on them. It's not not quite like the you know Day of the Dead in Mexico, but it's still a really big deal. And the idea that you're supposed to be respecting your ancestors, respecting your elders, and the fact that the government is lying about that uh, is definitely going to stick in the craw. I think of a lot of the Chinese people that were obviously the first victims of this thing. Speaking of Jack Posobiec of One American News Network, Jack, uh, do you think that we are now on a different? trajectory of U.S.-China relations, that uh, this, this momentum will take us to another place and regardless of party may be somewhat irreversible? Or do you think that the Democrats, if they were to take over from Trump, will take a very different approach to China, given what's happened with this virus? Well, you're already starting to see the decoupling. You're seeing that with uh, the cuts to licenses for Huawei, uh, which is, of course, the Chinese, um, it's, it's the telecommunications company, but it also has direct ties to the Chinese military. They can use it to, to, to piggyback for spying. Um, just yesterday, and sort of an interesting indicator when we talk about the politics of it, as you mentioned, the, the college Republicans and college Democrats released a joint statement condemning the Confucius Institute's uh, across U.S. campuses and Confucius Institutes, people don't realize this. They say, oh, that's, you know, that's like a right wing thing. Those aren't that big of a deal. People don't realize how many 
uh, of our large institutions, not just here in the United States, but the UK, Australia, have been taking money directly from the Chinese regime. They've been setting up these things called Confucius Institutes, and they're soft power institutes. They're also, uh, I'm sure you know, about the espionage operations that are run through there in conjunction with the consulates and the Chinese overseas, uh, overseas students and travelers. And so to see both parties, even, you know, certainly at a lower level, it's the College of Republicans, Democrats, not the RNC and DNC, uh, but to work together and put out a statement like that, I think is really telling for where we're going and definitely what the feeling is, at least in the base of each party. We can switch gears for a second here, Jack. I see in the background as we're doing this, uh, this hit over, over Skype as well as radio, is that an Agent Poso? Is that an Agent Poso comic? Well, yes, it is, Buck, as a matter of fact. Um, so a couple, uh, a couple months ago, I guess about a year ago at this point, uh, a bunch of graphic novel designers, people who had sort of been, who were conservative and so uh, weren't um, getting as much work from Marvel and DC and all the sort of Hollywood-associated comics, um, comics houses, came to me and they've been doing a series of sort of conservative pro-Trump graphic novels and one of the ones they did last year was called trump space force and this thing just did absolute gangbusters you know they raised a ton of money online they produced the whole thing they put it together and then they came to me and they said jack we want to do a graphic novel about your life and i'm like my life seriously and they said yeah yeah we think you know you know the fact that you're an intel guy you've got this family you know so you're sort of doing stuff online we think it'd be great and you know I, i've always been a comics fan growing up and i said all right if you want to the guy is actually that is putting the thing together is Chuck Dixon. So, you know, even if people uh, don't know everything about the nerdy world of comics, you might not remember Bane from the Batman series. You remember Bane, right? From mm-hmm. uh, uh, Tom Hardy played him in the movie. This is the guy that actually created the character of Bane. He also created um, the Birds of Prey series, which they just made into a movie with Margot Robbie. And now, for some uh, insane reason, he's making a graphic novel out of me. Which is annoying, though, because we've got the entire thing produced. All of the artwork is just about finished. But I, you know, in, in, in my infinite wisdom said, I want the whole thing to be, to be made by Americans and made in America. So I wanted to use an American printer. And but guess where I got my printers, or at least where I signed the contract? I don't know. Virginia. Why is that? So... My entire line right now, I've, I've sold uh, several hundred copies of this thing already, but I can't print them because Governor Northam is oh, not allowing the shutdown on other, other than it had, you know, other than um, I think they're doing like I called the guy up the other day. So we're doing um, medical plan pamphlets who do, you know, so you've got coronavirus, um, you know, and anything else you can do just to stay in business. But every single other order has been put on backlog because of the governor of Virginia and his response to this outbreak. I wrote, I wrote a draft of a, of a book, Jack, on, on socialism in America. And uh, yeah, we're gonna, it's going to be an e-book that we're going to release, I think, in the next month or so, just because of the same thing with printers. It's, it's thrown everything off now, and everything's on back order and backlog, and they're prioritizing and all kinds of stuff. But that's, I mean, let me just say, that's really cool. I mean, I call Jack Poso... Uh, and, and I didn't even realize there was a post-so comic book because <laughs> of uh, yeah we're was, doing it and that's you can I'll turn a little bit oh wait it's the other way yeah it's um so that's my my wife and then my son is like on her back and he's got a little like he's got like his nods on his uh, his night vision and a little scope there and then a, a big polluted um 
a big polluted Shanghai in the sky. So that has to do with the uh, has to do with the plot. I don't want to give away too many details, but that has to do with the plot. Big polluted Shanghai. Well, agent, agent. It's set in the future, by the way. The whole thing is set in the future. In let's just say a world where the socialists get the upper hand, and it's about 10, 15 years in the future. Agent Poso, everybody, also known as Jack Posobiec in his uh, daytime job where he works at One America News Network. But every good agent needs a cover, and Agent Poso's is airtight. Agent Poso, thanks for joining us, man. We appreciate it. Good to see you. Appreciate it, Buck. Take care, man. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ain't no party like a Team Buck party, because a Team Buck party don't stop. Yeah, we got Buck turned up to 11. It's time for Roll Call. I got to tell you, I'm a, I'm a tiny bit not loving the final season here or the most recent season. I haven't finished yet. I don't know if it's the last one of The Last Kingdom, but I think it should be the last season of The Last Kingdom because it's all sort of this. It's now just turned into the same show all the time. It's, oh, I'm Uhtred. Uh, you know, why do the Vikings, the Danes are coming, you know, to attack me? And it's like the same show every, you know, I loved in the beginning. I love the first two maybe three seasons but now it's like the same thing every day so i need to find a new thing it looks like i've gotten a lot of advice today about man there's a lot of sports movies i've never seen never seen bull durham never seen uh i saw miracle thank you producer mark never seen slap shot so how have you never seen remember the titans never seen remember the Titans. oh that's such a good movie yeah so really, I haven't seen very many sports movies, which yeah. is strange because I've seen so many movies, but I haven't seen very many sports movies. Well, I mean, you don't, you haven't seen very many sports, to be fair. Yeah, I don't watch a lot of professional sports. That's probably true. So, I mean, I love football and basketball. Um, I'm, I, I grew up watching basketball. I also think basketball used to be a different game in, to some degree in, in my defense. Now it's just like a lot of super athletes who are all six foot ten and can shoot three pointers doing a lot of pick and rolls and, and, and three pointers. Yeah, uh, they, they don't play defense anymore. All they do there's is no defense. Yeah. And I mean, you go back and you and it comes up a little bit in this Michael Jordan series. There used to be like real gritty in the paint rival like these guys were really working i mean you know it was a it just felt like a different game a lot more contact uh a lot more you know go into the hole and and less you know right now it's everyone and look they can hit them so everyone's like oh it's amazing but everybody's seven feet tall practically and uh doing fadeaway three pointers and hitting them which is amazing but i don't know if it's that great of a product to watch yeah, I agree. It's not as physical anymore. I think analytics kind of killed basketball. Not killed it, but changed basketball because everyone realized, well, three points is more than two, so why wouldn't we shoot more threes? Yeah. 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 There's a lot. It's, it's like it's basically the NBA, for me, is has turned into a three-point shooting contest, and I'm like, I, I just don't find that that interesting. So, I, I uh, anyway, you know, and also because it used to be more of, I feel like it was more of a rare skill. Like if a big man, if a seven footer took a three point shot 15 years ago, everyone was like, whoa, buddy, like, what are you, you know, like nobody, you know, if Shaq tried to do that, he'd throw a basketball into the third tier of the stands and hit some old lady in the head. Right. I mean, it just would never happen. Now these guys do it all the time. Yes, uh, the athleticism has gone up in the league, and really in all sports, I think the players are more athletic now, but they don't play as physically. 
Yeah, I think I think that's true too. And I, maybe it's also kind of an injury thing. Everyone's like, let's not, you know. No one wants to catch an elbow to the face. You look at like the Pistons back in the day when they had guys like Bill Lambeer. I mean, these dudes were brawlers. They were playing hockey without skates. Oh, yeah. Different time. And Detroit has always been like that. I mean, they're the ones that got in the malice of the palace. Yeah, huh? yeah, that's true. Oh, remember, everybody, go to BuckSexon.com. We are posting stories now every day, and I really appreciate how much we've had uh, folks get going to the site. And also, um, it's a place where you can download and listen to the podcast. Uh, we're doing a lot more stuff with BuckSexon.com. The site's had a total, a total revamp, redo. It looks good now. Seamless. You'll love it. BuckSexon.com. Put it on your browser. Check in there. And uh, I've already talked to our web team. In the next two weeks, I'm going to start writing a weekly column. It might even be more often than that but uh, an original column for BuckSexon.com. So I've agreed to that. Uh, and obviously I'll light it up in that column as I tend to do. So uh, make sure you bookmark BuckSexon.com. Jake Buckman. Hey, brother. It's emblematic of the leftist tendencies to be hypocritical, disingenuous, and myopic. When Bro Cuomo implies that the push to reopen is racist, who does he think will be the ones who will bear the brunt of the economic downturn? There might be a much higher number of minorities at risk from the virus, but a much higher percentage of that population will be damaged by a recession. Jake, I think what you're saying by the numbers is is accurate, meaning that people who are uh, minorities are at a disproportionately high uh, health risk from this. And that has to do with the comorbidities, right? You don't have a disproportionate number of minorities over the age of 65, but you do have a disproportionate number of uh, minorities, pre- predominantly uh, black and Latino minorities in this country who are at, have have additional health issues that this virus is unfortunately preying upon, uh, you know, diabetes, uh, hypertension, things like that. Now, obviously, all you know, ethnicities, all groups of people have those same problems, but there's a disproportionate number, uh, a disproportionate level of it in the black and Latino community. But also, when you look at who has been really hurt by this from a financial perspective and who the recession has been just brutal on, it's people who are making less than $40,000 a year. They're the ones who have lost. I think I think uh, the, the number uh, actually I don't want to cite that because I might be wrong, but the number of people who have lost jobs who are making $40,000 a year or less is, is astronomical. And it's clear that's who has that's who's lost their jobs. It's people in the retail and service industries making 40K or less a year. And it has just been it's been really tough on them. And those jobs, I don't know when no one knows when those jobs are coming back. So we have to remember that, um, that there is a real long term systemic risk here, too. Brandy Buck, how do you think Bernie and all the rest of the Democratic candidates who have previously dropped out of the race feel about that decision now that the Flynn case has revealed Biden as one of the unmaskers. How long will this affect the presidential race? Brandy, uh, I don't think it's going to affect it very long at all. Democrats are crazy on this thing. They think it's fine. They think that there's no problem doing uh, what, you know, that, that the Obama administration was taking legal steps and unmasking is totally normal. You know, no, no issue here. That's what Democrats believe. So I, I don't think that they're, going to walk away from this at all. I, I think, if anything, they just are going to gaslight us all and, and largely ignore it. So, you know, Bernie Sanders, you got to remember, Bernie Sanders is. Oh, wait, producer Mark, can we play the I, I can't let this go. Can we play the Joe Biden audio that I sent you? Do we have that one? 
Which one? The one where he's just a complete, like, you know, he says 80,000 80, jobs lost or whatever. He completely messes the whole thing up. Uh, I don't think we have that one, Buck. We have another uh, ridiculous Biden clip, I think. If you'd like well, that one. Uh, let me play that one. All right. Well, I think they should vote their heart. And if they believe Tara Reid, they probably shouldn't vote for me. I wouldn't vote for me if I believe Tara Reid. Well, Biden is saying that she's a liar. No one ever seems to put in those terms. That's what he's saying. She's lying. Look, if someone accused me of sexual assault and it was false, I would say that that's, it's a lie, that the person is lying. I don't know why we have to dance around this, right? But it's because they've had to move away from the, the sensitivity of, um, you know, believe all women. They've, they've gone from believe all women to, oh, actually, uh, it's not that you have to believe all women. It's you have to believe women when a Republican is the one who has been, a uh, Republican is the one who has been, accused of something so that is a a different circumstance than we were led to believe at the time uh let's go back into it here with sheldon hey buck and producer mark first off mark is correct about the avengers movies love them really you're gonna just you're gonna be another vote for producer mark is right huh that's I how mean, we're gonna go with this I think one 90 percent of our audience agrees with me on that I worry the investigation of the collusion hoax, FISA abuse, etc. will be extended until it's too late to demonstrate with indictments the corruption that was involved by the last administration, the DOJ, etc. Do you think this will happen in time? It will be like the never promised Senator Graham hearings. I got to say, Lindsey Graham is getting a lot of a lot of people are like, oh, oh, really, Lindsey, you're good. You're I, I'm going to I'm going to hold them. I'm going to hold their feet to the fire. You know, Lindsey Graham's always saying this. And then there's no feet being held to any fire. But he goes on Hannity's show. He goes on the biggest shows on Fox News, and he's always promising, I- "I'm gonna, I'm gonna get, a- I'm gonna get answers to that." Mm-mm, he doesn't. It sounds good. I mean, the sound bites work. But when was the last time Lindsey Graham? Look, he's uh, he's run out of. I he did the he had that great moment with Kavanaugh, and I still give him credit for it. But since then, I can't think of what Lindsey Graham has been uh, particularly good on uh, and and been leading on. So. I think enough is enough with this. We got to get him to actually do something. Oh, and uh, Senator Burr has the FBI now seized. Uh, the FBI seized his phone. This is about the insider trading thing. You really don't want to be the senator that is that is expected to or that is alleged to, I should say, alleged to have been engaged in insider trading on information about the pandemic that relied on cla- like secret government assessments. And you were selling a couple million dollars of stock. Mm -mm. that's not going to go that's not going to go well for you now the case there against senator burr might be very difficult insider trade trader cases usually are how do you differentiate between someone who just knows that bad things are coming because of what they're reading in the paper on wuhan coronavirus and somebody who does that and also happens to be in these government briefings that are saying it's going to be worse he could say no i just knew it was worse now you might say buck we're not you know we're not idiots well you got to get a jury to believe beyond a reasonable doubt that it wasn't reasonable for him to sell in advance of what certainly could have been a global pandemic. You know, that's and he might say, oh, some of the government assessments were wrong and there were contrary government assessments, insider trading cases, unless you got a wiretap of somebody who's an officer of the company saying, hey, here's what the earnings reports say before the earnings report comes out. I mean, unless you get someone just nail them, right, caught uh, caught red handed. Very tough to make an insider trading case stick. That's why they don't bring that many of them. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. 
All right, now we got uh, Noel writing in, or is it Noel? I can never tell. How do we know if it's a Noel or Noel? I'm not sure. I put this. I put this one on you. Is Mrs. Mark around? Ask her. She'll. She's not around. I'm, I apologize. Oh. Okay, fair mm. enough. Buck, your comments about the reported Corona numbers got me thinking. I'm a New York nurse and working through all of this, and found many people who tested positive go and get retested several times until they get a negative test. Unless there's a central database that show Buck tested four times, are they represented as four unique positive tests? The numbers are severely inflated because I doubt there's a centralized anything in NYC. Love the show. No, very good question for which I do not have a ready answer. I don't know. Um, It would seem to me, my guess would be that every test is reported as a separate test and not a test tied to the individual. I have to check. I don't know. So I'm just surmising this. I'm theorizing this. But that's certainly a very important. If we're looking at the data, the numbers, the testing all the time, that's something we got to know. Right? That's uh, something that would make a whole lot of sense for us to figure out. Joanna Buck, big hello from WHP 580 territory. Woo! WHP Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Big shout out. Thank you so much for having us. Uh, they, they've... Our, our folks at WHP have been listening, and that station has been a great partner for us for four years now. So thank you so much for that. I travel to Denver often and have lived near Dallas, both great in their own ways, but I always come back to central or south-central Pennsylvania. Get away from the cities, which doesn't take much, and hang out with good people who still have common sense. And Governor Wolf is on his last term, so nowhere to go but up. As an added bonus, if you are feeling homesick, it's beautiful to drive back to NYC or Long Island for producer Mark. Shields high. P.S. Still waiting on Malta. All right, it's happening. It's happening. I promise. I know, I know, I know. I just, when I said I was going to do Malta, it was before I was doing five hours of radio a day. So it's, in my defense, I mean, I'm yeah, like. I don't a, think that's true. Did I just get, did I just make a, make a Biden right there? Did yeah, I a little you did. Uh-huh. Did I just pull a Biden? I didn't, I didn't. You know, the listeners count on me to call you out when you just haven't done things that you promised. No, I know. You're the, you're the, uh, you're the audience's ombudsman. So when I'm like, I never said I would do that a thing that would be cool that I said, you're like, actually you did. Uh, so, you know, got to have somebody who speaks the truth. Um, yes, uh, it sounds lovely in that part of Pennsylvania. And as I said, WHP, big high five to all of our folks there in uh, South Central Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Park. Is it Park or Park? Parka? I don't know. When I saw the Buckster on Tucker, I started cracking up. The swoop needs some loving. But don't worry, you look like Samson and we would still love you. By the way, producer Mark's knowledge of American pop culture is amazing for a 20-something. I love his references. Keep it up, guys. You're the best. And I see you as a true replacement for number one after our number one is no longer at the helm ruling the radio waves. Well, uh, Park, thank you so much for, for writing in. I'm guessing it's probably Parker, but I can't tell. Thank you so much for writing in and, and the kind words about us. And yeah, no, the swoop, I mean, just so you know, the swoop has been tamed a little bit. The snow princess has taken some scissors to the swoop, but I mean, we, I really got to go after it with, with a lot. You know, it's going to take a lot to tame this thing. And I got to, I got to do it. I got to get it, got to get it happening. Got to make it happen. Or I can just go producer Mark style and take like a number two on the clippers and just shave it down. They're going to need a weed whacker at some point for you. That would probably work. Some kind of large mechanical blade might be necessary to tame this thing. I might actually dull those blades. That's how bushy it's getting up top. It's intense. Eric, 
question for roll call living in NYC. I'm losing my mind dealing with some of the liberals for lack of better word. Uh, they are lunatics. I've been losing friends who are calling me every type of liberal insult for saying we should open up on top of that with the Obama stuff, which I've been on top of for three years. Thanks. Thanks to you and others. Question is any advice on staying sane and dealing with uneducated friends in this crazy city? Thanks. Whew. Eric. Um, no, <laughs> I don't have Listen to this show. Uh, that I can tell you. Uh, listen to this show. And other than that, I, I can't really give you, you know, find good, sane people to at least be in contact with and to talk to and to make you feel like there's other people that see the, way, the world the way you do. That's kind of it. That's what I got with you. I don't know. Uh, it's tough here in New York right now. There's not a whole lot. Long Island, Strong Island is, uh, is making it happen. They got some protests, and there's a little bit of stuff going on there. But for us here in Manhattan or in the five boroughs, we are in de, we're in de Blasio land, my friends, and it is not a pretty place. It's not good right now. Laurel, hey, hey, just started listening to yesterday's podcast. I actually disagree with you about those who don't want to open up are purely partisan. Inside the media bubble, totally outside in the real world, I think there are a lot of really power-hungry misfits who actually prefer to be able to use social distance as a rallying cry to do less work while still collecting the same amount. My apartment community in Charlotte is guilty of this. They base their marketing on their great amenities, charge 30% more than average for the area, and have put increasingly more restrictions on what we can do, going beyond North Carolina regulations and even suggesting residents report violators. Beware of the tyranny of middle management customer service. It's probably a good thing to always remember. Stay safe. Shields high. Thank you so much for writing in. I appreciate it, and uh, it's very kind of you. That's no, I don't have time for it. We got a whole bunch more roll calls in the, in the hopper here. We'll save them for Monday. Producer Mark will make a note of that one. Thank you, everybody, for joining us here in the Freedom Hut. As always, much obliged. Uh, please do check out BuckSaxon.com over the weekend. Tell one person, do me a little favor, tell one person who's in quarantine or lockdown right now who wants something to do, wants something new, to listen to the Buck Sexton Show on podcast. That's the greatest thing you could do for us here to get one new listener, each person listening. And uh, we'll be back on Monday. Shields high.